0: So we finished up last week, and we brought ourselves to the middle of the tribulation period, and we answered a couple of questions. One of them was about the mark of the beast, and the things that we clarified is, it's okay. It happens in the middle of the tribulation period. There's a lot of things that happen before we get there. The description of that is a loyalty to a false religion, a false god, an antichrist, things that go against God. And for a lot of Christians that have, man, I don't want to accidentally take this We need to explain. You can't accidentally lose your salvation, first of all, because you've got to understand what God says about that. And the other thing is, you're not going to accidentally do anything because of the fact is, it is a loyalty or a decision that's being made in the middle of that. The other question that we kind of got into, we talked about, can someone be saved during the tribulation period? These are things that we're reading as we're going through, and the answer was yes. The question was asked, does the Bible reference only Jews being saved? Let me give you a verse as we we had that question come up at the end, and it says in Revelation seven nine, after this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man can number, and that's talking about those that were on the earth and that pass and now in heaven, all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palms in their hands, and um, this is the description of those that were on the earth that had passed on during the tribulation period. But the Bible is very clear. All nations, all people, all tongues, all nationalities. And so that we know that it is more than just Jews. So, um, so can people being saved? Yes. <clears throat> Things they keep in mind. <clears throat> the great deception that happens during that time. The lack of the working of the Spirit of God like it is now. Because the, God works through the, the preaching in the church. Uh, remember that also there's extreme opposition. They're beheading Christians for following Jesus Christ. I mean there's a lot that goes on. And so yes, people can be saved. Uh, but the likelihood of it is very unlikely. And so um, in the middle of it, we ended and we kind of paused when we got to seal number seven. So we're at the mid-tribulation period. So the Antichrist rises up, the Antichrist dies, the Antichrist comes back to life. Now they view him as a god. They're viewing him differently than what they were before. Um, this is now the false religion, the great deception. He, he's demanding the loyalty of people. You must take the mark of the beast. You must take all these things that are going on. And so we get into the second part, and it, it talks about the great tribulation period. In seal number seven, there was silence in heaven. And the Bible talks about that there was a, that for the, about the space of a half hour. And then we roll into the trumpet judgments. Now I want you to see this is the view from heaven. And so John was brought up, and his view of the tribulation period as a saint of God was viewing this from a heavenly perspective, not from an earthly perspective. That's important to keep in mind as you understand what's going on with Christians and the fact that he was called up from the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And then he said, come up hither and let me show you the things that must come hereafter. And so that gives us a lot of peace also of the view that God's giving us as a Christian perspective. I want you guys to notice as the trumpet judgments happen how the first five are parallels to almost the uh, plagues in Egypt. Why did God bring the plagues in Egypt? Because they refused. They rejected Christ. Why does God pour out judgment on the earth? Because they refuse. They reject Christ. What did man worship? They worshiped the things that they built up in their hearts and minds of entertainment and doing their own way and rebellion and sin. Revelation 8-2, and if you want to follow along in your Bible, you're welcome to do this. Um, Like I said, I'm not going to dwell on this just because uh, the Bible, I'm going to give you the verse, and then I'll give you the clearest explanation of what I think this is saying, but I'm not going to go into and say this is this because we don't know. And it says, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and them were given seven trumpets. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And the first angel sounded, and then they followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and a third part of the trees was burnt up, and the green grass was burnt up. So I'm going to bring you through these judgments that God pours out on the earth. Trumpet judgment number one is the third of the earth is burned. Now we saw a lot of heartache, tragedy, famine, death, all those things that transpired in the first half of the tribulation. But nothing like this. Nothing like this. This is hail, and fire mingled with blood. Literally, the mingled with blood, a lot of people speculate that's just literally how it attacks the earth. It will be like a worldwide attack that happens on this, and people are dying all over the place. A third of the earth is burned. Animals are dying. Vegetation, uh, people are dying. It's, it's literally destroying the earth, but that's what, that's what sin is. God's judging sin, God's judging the earth that is cursed. Trumpet number two, and a third of the sea life is destroyed. Revelation eight eight and the second angel sounded and it was a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and a third of the mountain, or the sea, became blood. And a third part of the creatures which were in the sea had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. Some people speculate this, this great mountain that was thrown into the sea, is that like a meteorite? Is it something like that? The Bible describes that, and people have guesstimated what that is. I would say, from that description, it's probably something like that, something that strikes the earth. And out of that, uh, a third of the animal life in that and uh, dies. The oceans are hit so hard that it sinks a third of the ships. So you can see everything that man trusted in the economy and resources and stuff are being destroyed one after another. The Bible says in verse 10, And the third angel sounded, and there was, fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and fell upon a third of the rivers and upon the fountains of water. And you got to understand what's going on. This is different than what we read before. It's not the oceans. It says the fountains. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became wor- Wormwood. And many of the men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Now the word Wormwood is talking about poison. The wa- talk about, it's not talking about the oceans. It's talking about the fresh water. The water system that we rely on on earth becomes poison. And many die probably because they don't know what's poison, what's not, because water's not one of those things that you can live behind or live without. And so you got to think what's going on with this is people are living fear. Did you guys notice how fearful we were when we didn't have toilet paper? I mean, you're thinking, what are we going to do? I'm, you know, your mind's running ragged. Like, you know, think about not having water or think about getting water and you don't know, is that poisoned or not? Is that is that from the and, and not being able to go outside and fearful of these things falling from the earth or falling from the heavens, and it said verse twelve and the fourth angel sounded and a third part of the sun was smitten, third part of the moon and third part of the waters of the stars and a third part of them was darkened and the day shone not a third part of it and the night then the night likewise, trumpet number four is talking about the darkness that lands on the earth. You, you think about this, and sometimes we don't fully grasp what the Bible is saying. You say a third of the sun was stopped. What does the sun give us? Not only gives us light, it gives us heat. Uh, warmth, heat the, the, of this. So what happens is there's less light, and it would get cold. And you think about what's going on. is fear, one thing after another, just striking fear to the hearts and the minds of people that are going through this. It's just fear. And if you notice, we're just tapping these things on the head because my whole goal was to give you a timeline. What will the end be like with the loss? If we were doing a study, an expository study in Revelation, man, we'd be going really deep. And I will testify and tell you well, later we're going to revisit a lot of these things because there's just too much good stuff in this not to, to, to revisit things. But I want to go back, and I'll explain some of that later. So who would they turn to during this time as the earth gets dark? false gods, false religions, antichrists, there's no hope. Guys, even, and I know we joke about the toilet paper, but it's relevant because we thought of that. But even with that, we would say, God, help me. God, I don't know if we're going to have a job. Lord, help me not to get sick, all these different things. But for them, they have nowhere to go. We thought about the fear of killer hornets and dust clouds from Africa. You know what I'm saying? It's like that was kind of scary stuff to see in the news and the things going on. This is one after another, after another, after another. brings fear, fear of the unknown. And things go to another level, and you say, this is bad. Things consistently get worse. Verse 13, And behold, I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by the reason of their voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet the sound. Now, these three last trumpet judgments are also declared or kind of labeled as the woe judgments. You'll hear that. Uh, sometimes when you see them in like a picture form or something, they're described as the woe judgment. Now, you think about that's something that we understand when we come up to somebody and say woe. It literally means like depression, sorrow, warning, whatever. So, what is the difference of the woe judgments? The first ones were things that landed in the waters, things that landed on the earth, the vegetation. But now we get serious because these things affect man. This is what happens. Demonic locusts, trumpet number five. When I say demonic, listen. And the fifth angel sounded and I saw a star from heaven unto the earth. And him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit and there rose a smoke out of the pit, as smoke of great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Now, think about this. You think about them being freaked out because the sun got dark? You think they got freaked out because it got suddenly cold at random? The entire sky gets blackened by this smoke that comes out of the pit. So, did you guys know that there are demons that God has reserved in hell to be loose for this very reason? I hope this does give you chills. Jude 1 6, and the angel which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for what? Unto the judgment of the great day. They're reserved for the judgment of the great day. Second 2 Peter 2:4, 2, for God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell and delivered them in the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now you say hell is judgment. Yes. Hell is judgment, but they are reserved for the day of judgment. Chapter 9, verse 3, And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and given the power as scorpions of the earth gave power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, so don't hurt the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Verse 5, And to them was given that they should not kill them, Because that's what they'd rather have. Can you imagine living at a time that death would be a blessing? But they should be tormented five months. And their torment was the torment of scorpions. When it striketh a man, in those days men shall seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. I I can't even imagine the spiritual thing. Things that are going on this for men to want to die and cannot die and for these beasts and guys we, I, I truly believe that horror movies a lot of times are used in our society to dull the senses of people so that they see that as entertainment and then we read something like this this is worse than any horror story or any horror movie that's ever been portrayed by Hollywood Amen. it's terrifying Trumpet 6 is the attack of demonic armies I can't explain this, so we'll just read it, okay? Verse 17 and in, in chapter 9. And I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them having the breastplate of fire, and janketh and brimstone, and heads of horses, and the heads of lions, and out of their mouth issued fire of brimstone. It says in verse 18 And these, and three, uh, was the third part of men killed by the fire, and the smoke, and the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like under serpents that had heads with them that do, uh, do hurt. Now, I don't think any artist could even come up and explain that. I don't think any movie could portray it. Uh, it it's one of those things that literally it crawled out of the pits of hell. We say that phrase, but this is truly it. It crawled out of the pits of hell to reap judgment on the earth. Uh, can I just put a little plug in here? if people say, well, I believe that Christians will go through the tribulation, do you know what stands against the gates of hell? Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is something that holds back all of this. And God works through the local church. And you say, what happened? It was, there was a gate open and the gates of hell came out and literally tortured man and, and put people in fear. You say, well, Christians are going to live there in this time. Wait a minute. Holy cow. Listen up. The only person that that literally died for the church, to redeem the church, died so that we would have victory on this earth to proclaim Jesus Christ. And then we sit there and talk about the defeat of what's going on of the church during this time. There can't be the defeat. God has promised us victory during this time. And so it just doesn't add up about how the fact that somebody was able to open up the gates of hell and prevail on the earth, then what did happen to the church? That means that they're losing during this time, that the gates of hell are not prevailing. But I've been given a promise that that cannot happen. say, well, what does that mean? It means that we're raptured out of here before this happens. Anyways, I'm not going to preach. And so uh, trumpet number seven begins the seven bowls. This is another transition, Revelation eleven fourteen, and a second woe is passed, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was a great voice in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So we almost stopped during this time, and this woe happens. We're not sure exactly what happens on earth, but I can tell you what happens in heaven. In heaven, all of a sudden, we have this flashback where this 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 camera turned over the heaven scene, and we see people just praising God. Now, this doesn't make sense, but let me tell you, this very praise of God is is a little bit here on Earth because this is uh, handles Messiah. They're, they're literally singing Handel's Messiah in heaven. Actually, we sing what they sang in heaven. But anyways, we, we have it the kind of reverse. But in verse 16, and the four and twenty elders which sat before the throne on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshipped, saying, "We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, for was uh, thou art was and art come, and thou hast taken thee the great power and has reigned." And this passage that we read in here, uh, especially in verse 15, is the very words that they use in Handel's Messiah. But it's a, it's, a, it's a picture in heaven. They're, they're praising God that, of the king and the one that rules and the one that has authority over these things. And you say, why in the world would they do that in heaven during this time? Because of the fact that justice, God is a just God. If you were going to sit in, in, a, in the lost, would not understand this concept of what I'm saying whatsoever. But if you were to sit in a courtroom and there was somebody that did some sort of horrendous crime, and they were let loose, there would be defeat in that. And you'd say justice was not served because that child molester or that person that killed somebody did not get uh, what they deserve for that crime. But when something happens and they say, I find him guilty, and they were convicted of the crime that they did, there's almost a celebration of justice is served. And I know this is weird to look at, but even in this thing, there is justice being served, and God is not doing wrong by pouring judgment on it, God is judging the world of sin. And you say, that is unfair for those that are receiving this. It's only because they held on to their sin and received to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior. That's why the whole Christmas story, for unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Why do we call him Savior? Because he's come here to rescue us from the wrath to come. So for people to get so upset saying, I can't believe in a God that would do this. It just blows my mind that we would get to the point where we're not understanding that, that God died to save us, to rescue us from this. So this is happening to mankind because they rejected hope and help from God. The bold judgments are the seven last judgments that happen in the book of Revelation. And these are just one thing that happens after another, starting in, in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 1. And I want you to see something, too. Uh, of the the description of this of what the visual is of of a bold judgment judgment, is the fact that the angels are standing in heaven God gives them this command and this wrath in this vial, this bucket however you want to is literally being poured over the edge of heaven on earth that was another thing that I, I, I pulled out in there understanding the love of the father and his children a heavenly father does not pour out wrath on his children you know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's, if you're a father, you're sitting there saying, that just grieves me to do that. No, and I'm not, that's not chastening. I'm not talking about correcting. And, and sometimes we get confused with those statements. But bold judgment number one is this, their painful sores. And it says in uh, chapter 16, verse 1, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And I went first and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell noisome, Uh, grievous sores upon the men that had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshiped the image. So the Bible describes this first one, these painful sores, and that's all it says. And we don't even know uh, 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 the description of this, but we know that that's what it is. bowl number two. The seas are turned into blood, and the second angel poured out a vial upon the sea, and it became as blood of dead men upon every living soul died in the sea. Literally, if you notice now, one by one, everything that, that was left, that a third part, a third part, a third part, now it's just dying off completely. One after another. Bull number three, the rivers are turned into blood. That's the water source. And a third of the angel poured out a vial upon the rivers and the, the fountains of water, and they become his blood. Uh, and that's why we were saying a lot of these, when you see that, you're saying, wow, that, that sounds familiar. If you go back to Egypt, you see what God did with that of the rebellion that, that he was confronting Bowl number four is scorching heat, and the fourth of the angel poured out his vial upon the sun. The sun was given to scorch men with fire, and men scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Bowl number five is darkness and pain, and the fifth angel poured out his, uh, his vial upon the, uh, the, the seed of the beast, and the kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. We we don't even know. And I, I can say it's almost a prequel of what's to come in hell because that's one of the places we talk about the gnashing of teeth and those things that happen. And they blasphemed God of heaven because of their pain and their sores. And they repented not of their deeds. Bowl number six is preparation for the battle of Armageddon poured out his vial upon the great Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up. And the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And so now we prepare for the end. It's literally that last judgment is uh, bringing the end. Bold judgment number seven is a huge earthquake and hailstones. In verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings, and there was great earthquake, such as was not since men upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. Verse 21, and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, and every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague there was exceeding great. Seven years comes to an end. And guys, we sit there and our minds try to understand that. But death, plague, lack of water, death, 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 all those things when I was in Bible college, our professor was explaining this at some point. He said, do you know what brings death, brings death, brings death? Because of any time there's plagues and those things that happen, they can't bury bodies fast enough. They pile it up. I mean, it's just the world just becomes defiled just instantly. We, we've seen that in the past when, you know, when they've had like the, the Spanish flu and things like that. We've got the stories of how they would try to bury the dead and stuff like that. Well, this is happening on a massive scale we find after this in Revelation chapter 17 and 18 is the destruction of the world order, the destruction of the Antichrist. All these things come to an end. The Bible kind of goes into description of that. But the end ends with the second coming of Christ. We, the first coming is not the rapture. The first coming was baby Jesus. That was the birth of Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world. The second coming of Christ is at the end of tribulation period. The reason why we don't call the rapture another coming of Christ, because the Bible says we're caught up to meet Him in the air. This time He's actually coming to the earth. Revelation 19:1 through 16, this description. And I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He that sat upon it was called Faithful and True, and the righteousness He doth judge and make war. His eyes were the flame of fire, and on his head were the many crowns, and he had name written that no man knew but himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. I think that's cool in and of itself. We sit there and say, I don't know if there's power in what we can say on Sunday to preach the Word of God to somebody that is dark and sin or lost or an agnostic or, you know, atheist or whatever. Literally, the weapon that is used to describe the Battle of Armageddon was the Word of God. How powerful is that? And armies which were in heaven followed upon the white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's us. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it should smite the nations, and shall rule over over them with a rod of iron, and treadeth upon the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. Again, why are we not there? Because we're with him, and that's the ones that are receiving it, are receiving the wrath of the Almighty God. This is the battle of Armageddon that happens at this the Bible says in Revelation nineteen nineteen, And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war, the final war, and him that sat on the horse and against his army. In verse 20, it says, And the beast was taken, and with the false prophet wrought miracles before them, which he that deceived them, that deceived them with the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped the image. These were both cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, And the sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And so, everything comes to an end. The Antichrist, the seven years of tribulation, all the wrath of God upon the earth, all that's over. And Satan is bound for a thousand years. And you say, oh, tell me a little bit about that. I will in just a second. The reason why I say that is because the millennial reign is for us. So you say, give me the timeline of what's going to happen to the lost at at the end. I can't do that because it doesn't fit with them. It doesn't fit in their timeline. It doesn't ours. And the Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on that dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set his seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season." After the thousand years, Satan is loosed. And then we get to the scariest part of all this. You say, wait a minute, that's pretty creepy. Already, pretty creepy. We come to the final judgment. There's two judgments we could say here. The judgment for Satan and the judgment for man. The judgment for Satan is in verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beasts and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night. Forever and ever. And the final judgment of man, which is called the, white, great, the, weight, the great white throne judgment. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it, whose face the earth and heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, multiple books. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Interject real fast. What are the books? Once again, if we were doing an expository through this, I'd be breaking all this down. But we're doing a timeline instead. The one is the book of life. When you are saved, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Book is open. Their name is not there. They've not been forgiven of their sins because they never accepted Jesus Christ. One that I've been told that is there because it's referenced in the Bible is the Bible, is the Word of God. Another one is the Book of Deeds. And it says they were judged every man according to their deeds, the deeds of the unsaved man. If this was a trial, it would be almost a flashback of their life. Some say because of whether they did good or bad was the fact of not being judged according to their good and bad, but the fact that through their life they never accepted Jesus Christ. It would be like any kind of law, you know, an order type of situation. They wouldn't be just condemned. It's a matter of you never, ever accepted me as your Lord and Savior. And the Bible says in verse 12, and they were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. Those in hell will also stand as well because it says, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death delivered hell out of the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to works. And then death and hell... Were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hell is gone, and it is only the lake of fire. Now, one—I've done this in the past, and I'd like to do it again at some point and explain what is the difference between hell and the lake of fire. Another thing that comes up with this that we need to get into later is the question of, are there degrees of hell? People ask that question. What does the Bible say about that? Are there degrees of hell? Is there degrees of punishment for those things? I'd love to answer that question. Hell is gone. The lake of fire is here. But let me just end with just a couple of verses of this segment. Matthew 25, 41, it says, And they shall also unto them on the left hand depart from me, ye curse, into everlasting fire say, man, that's terrible. Listen to the rest. Prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for man. It wasn't prepared for man. It was prepared for sin. It was prepared for judgment. It's, it, it, that's a sad thing. these shall go away, it says in verse 46, into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You talk about a separation, an eternal separation. That's why I asked, do you know the Lord as your personal Savior? Because Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Today, God will be your hope. God will be your Savior. But at this point, you're talking about God being your judge because you rejected God. You rejected hope. You rejected salvation. You rejected the cross. And every time God pours out judgment, did you notice how it would say at the end of it? And they still would would not accept Jesus Christ as being the Lord. They still, they still, they still. It's almost as a reminder to us to, to say in the Bible saying they reject God over and over again. This is no joke. And I end this part with this question Are you ready to meet Jesus Christ? What will the end be like for the saved? We're going to close with seven things. I'm going to give you seven things that are going to happen at the end. I, once I got into this, I thought I've got to teach this later rather than a timeline. Because of the fact is some of these things we've already gone through, if you want to get more about the rapture, uh, go into our previous lessons. We've done this because we've been doing this for months now. Uh, But this is going to be totally different than what we just read, and I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Uh, But my goal is to give an outline or a timeline. I'm going to give you seven significant things that happens to Christians at the end. Revelation begins with seven letters of the seven churches, which we read. Uh, At the beginning of it, we're doing those on seven. There's a significance of seven. Uh, and Jesus writes to the heart of them returning, but at the end of those churches comes the spot that we believe in Revelation 4, 1 and 2, which is the rapture. So the first thing that we read of for the Christians of what's going to the end be like for, for the saved, number one, is the rapture. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, "...for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise." Then we, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so we have this promise of this, of the rapture to come. So when you say, oh, what's next for us? What do we have to anticipate? The Bible is very clear. I'm going to pull up my people. I'm going to pull them out. And number two is the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, I can't wait to explain this. Because so many people live in fear of the judgment seat of Christ. And I, I want you to have a righteous fear of understanding of the judgment seat of Christ. Only Christians will be at this. And this is the first thing that happens in, in, when we are transitioned out of heaven. So only Christians. So that judgment that we hear at the end of it, that's different. Okay? Then it's, There's a great white throne judgment and there's a judgment seat of Christ. There's two different judgments. The first thing we see when we come into heaven is the throne of God, Revelation 4.2. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, there was a throne set in heaven and sat on the throne. The very first thing, we see Jesus, and he is our reward. The Bible says that Jesus will be the judge, Revelation 5.22. For the Father judgeth no man, but is, hath committed all things unto his Son, all judgment unto his Son. So who will you answer to? You will answer to Jesus, Understand the judgment for the saved uh, is is different for the lost. And I don't mean different as they're two different things. I mean totally different. And you say, how is that possible? This will not be a judgment of condemnation or punishment of sin. You say, it won't. You mean I won't stand in judgment of sin? It's impossible. Because when he sees me, he only sees the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a, this reception saying, man, I don't know if I stand before God. I'm thinking, whoa, whoa, wait, you're a child of God. Your sin is as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered no more. So how can it be brought up in heaven? And besides, let's say it was. Let's say it was. Let's say we just ignore these things. And you did stand before God for your sin. Then what? He doesn't let you in? I mean, think about it, it's like, you were a really bad boy, you know, it's like, uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense, so let's explain what it is. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and he, and shall not come into condemnation. So there's no way to stand before God into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. The word condemnation there also is the Greek word that means judgment. Christians shall never be judged or punished for their sin because Jesus did that on the cross. And you said, How do I know? I've got some words for you. It is finished. When Jesus says it is finished, you don't have to go back and do anything. You don't have to finish it up or finish it at the judgment. It is already done. It will be a judgment of awards. Now, let me connect some dots for you guys and say, and then it will be like, Oh, God has entrusted us with his business. The a- example of this is the example of the parables, uh, uh, the parable of the talents. He said, Watch therefore for you know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So what are we talking about? The coming of Jesus Christ. Okay. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling to a far country, okay, who called his own servant and delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents to another Into another one, into another man according to the uh, several of ability, and straightway took his journey. So, what happened was they went and invested what they did, and then at the end of it is, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So, it was a matter of being accountable for what God has given you on this earth. So, it's a matter of today, you serve God not out of fear. You don't live for God out of fear. You live for Him out of, I love you, and I'm going to take what you've given me. I'm going to be preaching a lot on this in the near future, so just get ready. To whom much is given, much shall be required. And if God has blessed Fellowship Baptist Church, God requires much of Fellowship Baptist Church. Just keep that in mind as we move forward. So God literally talks about those of the reward of those that invest in what they had. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to which he had done, whether it be good or bad. The word appear is the, uh, is means to declare or show or to uncover. The, the Bible talks about all their good works will be thrown into the fire and burnt up, and the chaff is burnt away, and only the gold that remains or the refining of the fire is pulled out. There's a whole lot of teaching of that. Judgment seat in this passage is the same reference of Bema seat. How many of you have ever heard this called the Bema seat of Christ? Okay, the Bema seat is the same Greek word for judgment seat of this. The description is this, when they would have their Olympic games or their Greek games and things like that, where they would have the tiers, it is a reward system of those that were being awarded during that time. And what are we awarded with? Crowns, okay, one. Crowns, we're (laughs) awarded with crowns. And it's but the loser of the competition was not punished, but the winners were decorated, or the winners were given the rewards of that. What's going on? We shall re- re- uh, receive crowns. That's why in verse four, and you say when we're called up and we stand before the throne of God, what's the next thing that happens? And the Bible says in Revelation 4.4, and they had crowns on their uh, and uh, on their heads, crowns of gold. We were awarded crowns of gold. Who is that? Well, the Bible talks about uh, crowns all through the Bible, about us receiving it. Actually, in Matthew 6, uh, 6, 19 through 20, it says, Lay not for yourself treasure upon the earth, where moth and dust corrupt, and thieves break through and steal. But what do we do? But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. That's what we do, treasures in heaven. That's the rewards in heaven that we come so uh, the Bible talks about different ones in that, but the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 8, henceforth there's laid up for a crown of righteousness, three rewards. So that everything lines up when you start putting the pieces together. We're standing before the throne, we're giving crowns. What do we do or what do the elders do before the crown, or before Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 4? They cast their crowns before that. Do you know why? We never did it for us. All for the glory and the honor and the power forever and ever and ever, amen. Glory for God. And so we have five crowns that are listed in the Bible of soul winning and faithfulness and loving the appearing of Jesus Christ. And after receiving the crowns, we cast our crowns before the feet of Jesus in Revelation 4.10. And the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Let me put it in another, another little commercial right here, just because I, I have to. People say, That's not the rapture, and that's not the church. My question is if we receive crowns in heaven, keep reading through Revelation. Where are they? Just keep reading. It never happens. So the Bible preached all the time that it's going to happen. It's right there. You say, where is it in Revelation? We're reading it right now. So what happened? Come up hither, stand before the throne, awarded the crowns. They stand before, they have the crowns. They cast them before God. They worship the king. That's heaven. That's what we have. We see Revelation 4 through 5, worship and praise. So here's the third thing that happens. So we looked at the rapture, the judgment, and then the marriage supper of the Lamb. This gets confusing, but it's cool. The marriage, the bride of Christ, is a visual, again, because God tells us we're the children of God, and in another sense, we're the bride of Christ. He's gone to prepare a place for you. That's what the husband would go do. He comes back for his bride. He receives us into uh, of himself. We are loved by God. Even the Bible describes this. Ephesians 5.25, And the husband, love your wife, even as Christ so loved the church, and he gave himself for it. It's a description. It's a visual of that. There's a wedding in heaven. Oh, by the way... Well, let me just give you this, Revelation 19, verse 7, And let us be glad and rejoice, give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. You say, why are you saying that's a big deal? Because the second coming hasn't happened yet. Which means that we're in heaven, which means that we're up there before the, during the tribulation period. If, if that's not true and God comes at the end of the tribulation period to receive the church, that means we completely miss being the, the wedding that God has promised for the church at the, uh, der, that he's promised at the end. And he says, and his wife hath made herself ready. And then there's the celebration. We call that the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Bible says in verse 9, And, and, he, and he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which call the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These things are true sayings of God. It's fellowship, it's rejoicing. We know this, you can know this by a Jewish wedding. They they partied hard after a wedding. They went on and on and on for those types of things that went on. It's a celebration, it's unity, it's fellowship with God in heaven. Then we have, number four, the fourth thing that we're part of is the return of Christ. This happens at the end of the seven years. And I saw heaven open, behold a white horse, and him that sat upon it was called Faithful and True. We just read that, but from the perspective of the lost, and righteousness doth he judge and make war. Who does he bring with them? Verse 14, And the armies which were in heaven followed upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. People have said, well, that's an, that's an army of angels. Read the Bible and find out the people that are clothed in the righteousness and made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ are the saints of God, not the angels. That's why they worship God that was made clean, that was made righteousness. We're clothed in the righteousness of God. So that is not the description of angels whatsoever. It's the description of the saints of God. Number five event that happens is the millennial reign. Now, this gets confusing for a lot of people. The millennial reign happens at the end of the seven years of tribulation. We come back on the earth. We are with the army of God. And from that point on, we have a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. Here's a few things that's going to happen. You say, what is that like? Satan's gone. He is bound for the thousand years. We read that in uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 2, and it says Satan is bound. Uh, Christ will be king on the earth for a thousand-year period. You say, why is that a big deal? Because the prophecy that we read, and they were looking for the king of kings. They mocked they Jesus on the cross, With a crown of thorns and saying, oh, you're the king of the Jews. Jesus said, I am the king of the Jews. thousand years, Jesus is reigning as king of the Jews. We are reigning with him during that time. That's why in Isaiah 9-7 when it says, In the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon the kingdom. And he said that never happened. There are things to come of the fulfillment of prophecy that happened during this time. And we could get really deep into the millennial reign. Actually, we could do a whole series on some of these things, and maybe we should go back and do that. But we see that. Here's the other thing that happens during the millennial, these thousand years that we go through. Uh, we shall reign with Christ during the millennial. It says, verse, uh, Revelation 20, verse 6, "'Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on the second death have no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years.'" Now, this is something that boggles my mind. What will that look like? What role will we play? I mean, you know what I'm saying? It just just fascinates me. But don't forget, he's the king, and I'm his child. Don't forget the relationship of what God established in the Testament when he died for the church. You are the children of God. I am the child of the king. And then the kingdom of God, that makes sense when we look at this. We'll be in glorified bodies having received uh, after rapture. Uh, When we go back through this and we get deeper into this, I'm going to explain that even more, what that means. A lot of this will be compared to what was like in the Garden of Eden. And if you read during the millennial uh, of that, um, the whole earth has changed. The Bible talks about with the lion and the lamb. I mean, it's the earth, but things are different. And our minds can go wild, trying to think of what this earth would be like without the sin and without you know, all these different things. At the end of the thousand years, and this is a mystery of things that happen, Satan is loosed again, the Bible says, for a short season. People speculate why that is. During that time, there will be children being born, and the only thing that makes sense during that time is they are now tested to see if they will choose God or choose sin during that time. It's another choice. It says that in Revelation 20, verse 10. Number six we witness the great white throne judgment. You say, we're not going to be at the great white throne judgment. Not in judgment. Not in judgment. Guys, we will not be at the great white throne in judgment. But from the beginning of Revelation to the end, we're never not with Jesus. You guys getting the picture of what I'm saying here? I don't know if you are. And I saw, from John's perspective, from the saints' perspective, the perspective, I saw a great white throne and Him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was no, found no place for Him. Verse fifteen, and whosoever was not found written in the book of light was cast into the lake of fire. And it's been speculated: Will we see our loved ones stand before God and cast into the lake of fire? I wondered that. I wondered if we could handle that. I wondered, but there's a bunch of reasons that point to because we are with Jesus and, and we're seeing it from the perspective of John and we've already seen in heaven in the marriage supper and we were with him the second coming and we reigned with him a thousand years. I'm saying there's never a time that we're not. But there's another thing that's weird about this because there's a verse that I use at every single funeral I preach. I preach. And it is the hope that we have after this. Not not after all the tribulation and all that other stuff is already gone. We've already gone through millennial reign. We've already gone through all the blessings and things. But there's another verse that is said. It's this. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Why are we weeping? Why are we? And I know it's symbolic of the fact that it represents... The rest of it, there will be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall be there any more pain. But why here? Because that would make more sense when we enter into heaven. That would make more sense at the beginning of the millennial reign. That would make more sense marriage supper of the Lamb. But it makes perfect sense if we are witnessing the hardest thing we've ever witnessed in our life. When God says, and by the way, I'm going to wipe away the tears from their eyes. And a lot of scholars believe when the Bible says there will be no more sorrow, no more crying, and I don't understand this, but there would be something to where we're able to live out the the heaven forever without this being in our mind. If you've ever gone through something tragic, it's hard to be happy afterwards. Years later, of people losing their children, that's still. And so there's something that God wipes it away. God cleanses their mind or something to be able to enjoy the joys of heaven, which brings us to number seven. That is eternity with God. We will do this, and I've said this a thousand times during this series, that there's a bunch of things that we need to go back. Heaven is not what you think. Heaven is not what you think. Can I read it and explain it? How many of us think of heaven of the fact that there is a place that we fly to and we live up in the clouds. That's what we think of heaven. Let me read it. This is this we're talking about. God makes a new heaven and a new earth at the end. We're talking about the end. I'm not talking about just you die and you go to heaven and we pour out the wrath of God from heaven. I, I know that. And the Bible says in Revelation twenty one, verse one, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Listen to what he's saying. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there was no more sea. And John saw the holy city of New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the new heaven, but it is described as a new heaven and a new earth. It's almost like God wipes the whole system out and reboots it, and we get to experience, and I promise you at that moment, I'm just joking with this, if there's any woman that I meet that's named Eve, we're, we're not hanging out with that girl at all. I'm like, my name is Eve. No! <laughs> I, I know that there's no more, so I'm just joking, but uh, it just starts over at that time, but it's, it's not in the air. You know what I'm saying? We have like this, this floating around in clouds type thing and all this other stuff that we have, but the description of we have is New Jerusalem, and it says in verse 21, and the, and the, the twelve gates were the twelve pearls, and every several gate had, uh, was one of the pearls, and the streets of the city were pure gold and transparent as glass. It says in verse 23, and the city had no need of sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it for the glory of God, to lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. We can't even imagine And 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 the Bible goes on, and this is what I was saying at the beginning of this. There are all this that happens at the end of Revelation that if you read it right now, you're probably thinking, wow, I don't think we've ever gone through this. Because we automatically say this, and then we all go to heaven. And we're like, woohoo, that's good enough for me. I mean, that's great news. But there's so much more richness to it. So I think we need to do some teaching on heaven and the things that comes. So the Bible describes what this is and 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 from there we're asking will we know our spouse will we remember what happened on earth will we all these different things i'd like to explain all that stuff but this is what i do know for sure the bible says very clearly forever and ever no heaven or or, no no the old heaven it's new earth new jerusalem everything is redone no more pain no more suffering all those things